This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. He just comes to the rink every day. He's always doing extra work. He, you know, he's he's doing stuff on the power play that, you know, no one really else can do. So it's pretty cool to see. I think, you know, he's not always the most vocal guy, but I think he leads by example and guys kind of take to that. I just think Cooch has been, if you watch his game, he's done a lot of really good things, including some of the things that we were just talking about, you know, he's come back, he's worked hard on the back check, he's worked hard to defend plays, and he's one of our leaders, you know, he's, you know, he's the most talented guy on our team. And, um, you know, he's having some success on the scoreboard, putting up some numbers, uh, but he's also working hard uh, at the other NBA. So um, he, we just wanted to acknowledge him for that and uh, keep moving forward with it. Keep moving forward. Is he the most talented guy on the team? That's a fun question to debate. Yeah. I think we talked about that last year. I've always said he is the best offensive player on the team. I mean, look, you have to exclude Vasilevsky from that conversation. Is it fair to say that I mean, you're talking about arguably, I think, when it's all said and done, and we're here with Ed Encina as well from the Tampa Bay Times, Greg Linelli with you, along with Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick is our producer. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Glad you're with us. We're getting you set for Lightning and Stars. I've always maintained that at least up front, that Braden points is their most valuable player because of what he does, I think, on a consistent basis, both offensively and defensively. Maybe maybe I'm putting too much of a blanket on what he does, but that's how I feel. And I think Kucherov, you know how we feel about him offensively. I'm not sure there's two or three guys who are better than what he can, outside of two or three guys that do what Kucherov can do. I think he's their best offensive player. I think Vasi is going to go down, though, as one of the best goaltenders we've ever seen. And if that's part of the conversation, I think Vasi would be considered your best player. Right. But um, I think it's fair to say, and we can get Ed's thoughts on this too, Mish, after you, you respond. I think it's fair to say that the Lightning on this team right now, and even during the run here over the last two or three years, I mean, they've got legitimately four or five, six Hall of Famers on that team. And I think that's probably what you need. It's pretty accurate to win cups and win multiple cups. But, I mean, you're, you're talking about a team who I think, when it's all said and done with this core group of players, are going to have several guys who, who are going to be living in uh, immortality in many ways. Well, that's for down the road. And... Look, there's a difference between Hall of Famers and maybe numbers in the rafters, but I think there's going to be some of each, right? Yeah. There's going to be probably some, well, there for sure is going to be some overlap, but you're also going to have maybe some numbers raised that aren't in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And we have two right now, right? Marty St. Louis is raised. He's in the Hall of Fame. Vinny LeCavalier's number is raised. He's not in the Hall of Fame. And that may continue. But I think just off the top of my head, at least if they were to retire tomorrow, Stamkos and Hedman for sure are going to the rafters. And I think you can make an argument that they might both go into the Hall of Fame as well. Make the argument. Hall of Fame's tough <laughs> because you're, you've got a finite number of people who can go in every year and you've got big-time competition. But... You do have big time competition. That and... that's because they're farther along. But I mean, if you want to look at Vasilevsky, he's a few years younger than those guys. Kucherov too. I mean, I think there there are a handful of names, and maybe we can bring in Ed for for his thoughts on this. Yeah, I think. Do you, you disagree? Or no, I I think you're right. I think that um, you know, 
the the big thing that I think changes things for me, and, and you're right, Mish, is that you know there's a lot of good players out there, and there's a limited amount of spots every year. Is that you know when we're talking about these guys, you know they've all won multiple cups, and I think that's kind of a qualifier that kind of changes you know the resume a little bit. You know, I think I think both Stamkos and Hedman are Hall of Famers, um, and I think Vasilevsky and, and Kucherov, when you look at you know their body of work and when you look at what they've done and uh i think you know they're they're, they're on their, their way <laughs> they're on their way yeah and then let me know. stop you right there so you think stamkos and headman are hall of famers yeah absolutely I, I i do and maybe you know you know my background's a little bit more in baseball than hockey in terms of like history and stuff like that but i, I just think that you know championships matter and you know when you look at i mean and, and those guys, their resumes in terms of stats and impact games and everything they've done, they, I think both of those guys are, you know, they're they're amongst the top guys of this era. And if we're talking about, you know, the best of, of eras right now, I think that, um, yeah, to me, hands down, both of those guys are Hall of Famers. Well, you know, it's interesting because, Ed, you do come from that baseball, and now you have the hockey mm-hmm background too which i love and baseball is all about numbers and sometimes it doesn't matter if you win or not if you get three thousand hits and you haven't won anything in baseball you're going to the hall of fame because it's it's such an an individual achievement and i think sometimes in hockey we switch up maybe the requirements statistically for players you know it used to be 500 was a slam dunk right but I think because it's been so difficult to score times in this league, do we alter that a little bit? You know, Corey Perry, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but certainly he could be in a, in a conversation because of the numbers he put up. Plus, Ed, he has won a cup. I think also, too, the one thing I look at, it's more of the eye test, guys, but it's when you're evaluating whether a player should be in the Hall of Fame or not, and, and this kind of stems from, a little bit the conversations that Rob Zeller just said about Kucherov being the most talented player and then we've kind of gone down a rabbit hole a little bit is that I think you have to be one of the dominant players during your time in the last well over a five six seven year period and I think all of those guys we have just mentioned maybe outside of Corey Perry would fit that bill yeah absolutely I think that yeah I mean it's it's you again it's, it's it's all era right I mean it's it's uh a version of, like you said, whether it's five, six, seven years of being top players at your position. And you're right. I think sometimes the stats, you, you, you know, whether it's whatever sport we're talking about, you kind of get lost in them a little bit and you can kind of fall in love with them a little bit. But, you know, I think yeah, Corey Perry is an interesting case study because, uh, you know, there was a span for there that he was one of the most dominant players you know, in, in the league. And, you know, he put up those kind of stats, but, um, and then there's longevity too, you know, and I think that's another thing that obviously you need with, with a lot of this stuff for consideration is, um, you know, the longevity over the course of, of careers, you know, like I, I have a baseball hall of fame vote and I voted for the last first time last year. And, um, it's really tough when you, you deal with guys like you have injuries and stuff like that who, you know, maybe they didn't put up those landmark numbers, but, um, you know, they were dominant for a uh, a certain stretch, or they were one of the best players in the postseason for a certain stretch. And um, but I think with hockey, that's that's kind of the same thing. Like longevity is is even tougher, I think, in, in hockey than it is, you know, other sports too. So that has to go, you know, a long way too when you're talking about guys like like Corey Perry. 
And he has a cup too. Came right. very early. Right. <laughs> then he was over three in the last three years to to add to that total. Well, let's get into tonight's game. I want to start with the Pete DeBoer press conference because I thought he said something pretty interesting. Uh, he said he talked to Coop and Coop was not happy with the Lightning's game right. on Sunday. And maybe Coop was focusing on the last three minutes. But what did you make of that comment? Yeah, it was interesting because I know that, you know, I mean, everything here, the, 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 the body of work that we're dealing with right now is everything, as, as you know, as you guys know, it's it's all working up to a certain point. You know, it's it's you know, getting, rounding out the game to be at its best in a few months when it really matters the most. And, you know, it, there's very few days when I see John Cooper really completely 100% pleased with an effort. And that's because, you know, you're trying to round out your game to a full 60 minutes. And, you know, I think that's what he's talking about there is those last three minutes of the third when, you know, they allowed a couple goals, a, uh, you know, a couple open shots uh, on those goals. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think that that's, that's kind of the thing that, you know, it's going to be, yeah, we scored six goals or, yeah, we, you know, we scored four in the first period, but how how do we look at this whole body of work of 60 minutes? And I think that's kind of, you know, he's really good at kind of, you know, keeping those guys motivated in that context of, you know, and I think now it's not even a thing that he really needs to say because I think in the, in the locker room after the, the game the other night, you know, the players said it themselves is, you know, you know it's on the scoreboard, it looks great, but um, one, allowing those goals and, to that kind of magic number that they've created of, you know, three goals. You know, if you're allowing three goals, you're going to put yourself on a limb. If you're allowing two or less, you know, more nights than not, you're going to put yourself in a situation to succeed. So um, I think combine those two and, you know, it, it, it creates something moving forward that, you know, on a day-to-day, night-to-night basis that these guys can look look to to kind of keep rounding out their games. But, yeah, I thought that was an interesting comment that uh, DeBoer said that, you know, Cooper told him that. Ed Encina joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. We're getting you set for Lightning and Stars. Ed, it's early in the season. There's been some highs. There's been some lows. Uh, where you sit right now, this is, I think, far from a finished product when you talk about the Lightning. Where do you see them, and what are some things maybe that has surprised you and maybe uh, has you a, a, a little more surprised than other moments of the game? Yeah, you know, I think sometimes like we got to kind of catch ourselves a little bit as, you know, that. I think when when we when the team added Balsers the other day is that you know they actually have more guys who haven't won cups on this team that have won cups. So yeah, you know, I think you know as much as we talk about you know the experience in the room and stuff like that, every every team's a new team, and I think that this team is still trying to find itself on both sides of the ice. And um, obviously, we have what a month body of work here to to kind of examine. But um, like to me, I feel that you know, th- this team obviously is still kind of trying to find itself. And I think it's trying to find itself, you know, with its line combinations. You know, I think that one big thing that kind of stands out is, um, you know, they've got, they, they need more from those bottom six. And, uh, you know, every team is better when it's getting contributions from across all four lines. And I think that's been a little bit glaring thing. Obviously on the, on the back end, uh, it's been some of these wide open chances that they've been allowing. Um, and, I think when when we've listened to John Cooper talk about this team, it's it's always that you know the defense creates the offense, and you know that's hard. That's much easier said than done. But when you you kind of have seen this team play at its best, maybe you know, later in the year in the postseason, that's that's what you kind of see. You know, it's it's just this kind of fluid unit of five guys, 
you know, up and down the ice that, you know, create opportunities, but also create opportunities from their own end. And I think that's kind of what they're trying to find right now. Um, and I think right now what, what you're seeing is, you know, they're really leaning on, you know, really their elite players and your elite players carry you a really far way, but, um, you know, they're, you're going to need more balance, you know, down the stretch. But I mean, you know, you talked about Kucherov and, and everything that he's done and the leadership that he's shown. And now he's wearing that, that a, uh, for the first time. And, um, he's obviously been, you know, incredible. I think that, you know, one, like, I think one big thing that I've noticed, you know, in terms of a player that's, I feel is really taking a step forward is Brandon Hagel. And I, and it's not just playing on that top line. It's, I've, I've been impressed with him from day one since he joined here, joined here with just kind of the stick that he has and his ability to kind of, you know, play on the defensive end or play on the four check. Um, I think he's a really good player away from the puck. And I think we're starting to see that now um, very, in a very obvious way. So, um, you know, obviously I think, you know, the, the more we see here, the more we're going to see this team kind of grow, but it's, it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to happen, you know, in the first month, two months, maybe even three months of the season here. So, um, but yeah, I think that it's still a work in progress that that, that bat, the back end with the blue line, they've got, they're going to have to, we've got, they've got some injuries right now, but um, you know, it's probably going to be a roster crunch eventually there, especially when Zach Bogosian comes out, comes back in, in November and in, in Thanksgiving time. So, um, but yeah, I, I've been really interested and intrigued with, with this team. You know, they started off slow, but they've kind of gotten into a little bit of a groove and now they're kind of trying to find that consistency. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, their best is yet to come still, obviously. I think we've talked, Ed, on this show, the two biggest surprises from a pleasant surprise standpoint this year are Hagel and Nick Perbix. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Hagel, but like, do you agree with that? Or is there another kind of surprising positive angle to this year that, that has jumped out at yeah, you? Yeah, Perbix has been, I mean, especially recently, I mean, like, I think people who follow the team closely knew that this guy was going to be a part of the formula eventually this year. Now, I don't think many people necessarily thought that he would be this important a piece this early in the season. And the way that he's kind of just, like, settled in in that, second pairing with Sergachev has been pretty uh pretty amazing but when you think about it obviously he's got a lot of the tools or a lot of he just checks off a lot of the boxes which is you know he's got a good hockey body he's one of these older guys who's played college hockey for for a while and played in you know pressure situations and not just college but you know the Olympics and places like that and obviously I think the one thing too is like I just think that he's got a really good I guess the, the word that's used often around him is poise. And I think that's true. And I think that he's just a smart player. You know I mean? then, you know, I think he has his finance degree from St. Cloud State. He went, but he, he made sure he got that before, uh, you know, before he continued his career. But um, he, he just seems like a very smart player. And one of these guys who kind of, you know, it doesn't, nothing gets too fast for. And, you know, you're seeing him, you know, jump in plays. You're seeing him, you know, play well and very you know fundamentally sound in his own end and I think that's kind of what they need is he's he's kind of been an example for some of the other guys in terms of even though he's 24 years old and you know it's funny is I'm sure you guys have mentioned this is like he's older than guys like Sergachev and Hagel and um you know so and and you know so he's an older guy but he's definitely showed it but those I would agree with you Mitch those are probably the two two main guys who've kind of been uh they kind of really stand out you know obviously I think we've seen a continuation of of Nick Paul. You know, I think that uh, he's he's gotten the opportunity to be the guy on on the second line and centering that line. And 
Uh, we've see, obviously seen what he can do uh, in special teams on both sides of the ice, but uh, I think we've kind of grown, seen him grow, and I think that's a, another thing that you just see with you know the comfort and the confidence of him being here. You know, going through all the stuff that he went through last year, coming over here, and I think now he knows he's obviously going to be here for a long time. And you know, I think you can see that kind of comfort in his game show. You know, for the first time, I think we haven't seen the best of Nick Paul yet either, and Hegel or, or obviously Perbix. Um, so I think that's kind of something that's intriguing about it. Is that um, you know we, we've you know when we've watched this team, it's been all about kind of the core and the veterans and stuff like that. And now you've got some some of these guys who you know are going to be with the team for an extended amount of time that. Yeah, you can kind of follow and see, you know, see grow kind of before our eyes here. Ed Encina joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Ed, you know, one of the really luxuries this team has had over the last few years has been the fact that they haven't really had to worry about their third and fourth line production. This year might be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. It's easier said than done to make those changes because there's cap issues. Not everybody wants to trade for players maybe who aren't playing particularly well. What do you make of the bottom six? It's an interesting mix of younger players and older players. Do you feel like there's going to be more moves? We saw Balsers being claimed, and who knows if he'll be part of this equation. But do you get the sense before it's all said and done that there's going to be maybe more changes coming if the production stays what it is? Right. Well, I think the thing is it's you know it's more than just obviously looking at the stat sheet and obviously – a lot of those guys on the bottom six have struggled to contribute offensively, but also it's it's some of the other stuff that you depend on those guys to do, which, you know, I think in you know, the last game, you kind of started to see a little bit of that. You know, obviously Kepke got, got his first goal. You know, you see, I think past maybe a couple of games, you've seen them get that fourth line be a little bit more of a factor. Um, even you see, you know, Pierre-Edouard Belmar get into a fight. You know, little stuff like that that maybe – you know, doesn't glare on the, on the stat sheet. But like you said, it's going to be hard to to be able to figure out how to upgrade those lines because one, all the caps situation that makes moving those players difficult. You know, we're talking about mostly veteran players. I mean, Kepke, I think is, when we're talking about those six and even including Balsers, he's the only guy who's waiver exempt. So he's the only guy that you can really move back and forth. Um, so then you've got to ask yourself, well, are those guys, are these guys, whoever you're bringing in, is that better? And obviously, you know, it's not easy to make trades, um, you know, no matter what, especially when everyone knows that, you know, you're cap strapped or, or anything like that. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, when it comes to, and this is looking way far ahead, but, you know, when you're looking at the trade deadline, you know, when that comes up, like Julian Breezel is always really good at, you know, singling out what they need, what are their needs. And if that bottom six continues to be kind of maybe one of the the big spots for them in terms of what where they need to upgrade, I don't think that they would hesitate to make a move. Um, but, yeah, th there are definitely some obstacles to it just because of, of the cap structure and because, you know, the, you've, you've just, you know, what do you what do you do with those guys, <laughs> you know, Um but like I said, I asked Cooper about it after the last game and just kind of what he thought about it. And, you know, it's really going to get kind of be a game to game thing. And he was he was happy with the way they played uh, the other night against the Capitals. But um, for sure, they need to have, a, you know, they, they like you said, I think this year is a little bit more different. You know, you need a little bit the, the need for them to contribute 
in a lot of different ways is more important because of maybe what they've lost over the past couple off seasons. Um, you know, last year, what were we talking about all year long was the rebuilding of that, of that third line, you know, um, and, you know, that fourth line is, has been really an, an energy line for them over the past year, year or so. But, um, but they definitely need, I definitely think this year there's more of a need for, from those guys to, to give more. Ed, last one for me, the locker rooms are now open this year for the first time in a couple of years. And I do know that when you needed to talk to a player that wasn't presented to the media yeah. as a whole, you had access. Sure. They, they made that happen. But how much easier has your job become to have that access back this year? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've actually had to get used to it. <laughs> you know, it's – um. You know, like I said, my, 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 my background's a little bit more in baseball and, and football. And, you know, you have you know, baseball's, you know, you have access to these guys every single day. And, you know, you're, it's, it's very unique in that sense. And, you know, before batting practice and after games and you have, but, you know, it, I think the biggest thing is just like for me, honestly, it was the first time that these guys actually saw me in person for two years, um, and actually could sit down with them and have, you know, for the most part, like you said, I, I was able to get guys kind of on the side, but for the most part, just have a casual conversation, you know, nothing that was like, Hey, this is me and you, and we're talking about this or that. But um, I think the big thing is just kind of the, the biggest thing is you're allowed to kind of, you know, build relationships and whether that's, and that's so important in our jobs because, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, doing an interview quote it's just talking to a guy about this or asking a guy about this and you know i find that those that access is actually more important because also to you know just to talk to a guy about you know i think steven samco's a couple of days ago i was just talking to him just like hey just and i just want to talk to you about this to get so i can kind of understand what i'm seeing and you know whether it meshes with what's going on and like just about like the struggles that they were having in, in the five on three and i think those things are just better you know, you can just sit with a guy and talk to him and, and, you know, discuss things and not aren't necessarily like for a story or even quoting him or anything like that, just so you can understand what you see better. And, um, I think those, those are things that are really more, probably more valuable than say, you know, being able to walk in a room and having free reign of, of, you know, this is a guy I want to talk to today. Or this is a guy I want to interview today is, is just being able to kind of sit with guys. And, you know, for the most part, guys are, I've always said that hockey guys are, are some of the best in terms of accessibility and they're, you know, them being okay with talking about, about different things. Um, and, and that goes back to even, you know, when I covered the team before with, you know, Marty and Vinny and those guys, but um, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is just kind of, it's, it's the access in the sense of, you know, not just having an open room, but just being able to talk to guys on the side and kind of discuss things and, understand things, talk to them about their families too. And, and, and stuff like that, I think is really, really the stuff that we really need kind of to, to be able to kind of put perspective and really cover this team on a, on a daily basis, you know? You know, Ed, I'm curious to that point before we let you go, have you found that are players more open now than they were maybe a few years back understanding we went through a period of time where they couldn't talk to anybody? Yeah, I think, I think they had to get kind of get used to a little bit. I think I remember the first day, like, I think there was one player that was kind of like, all right, here, there goes our privacy kind of thing <laughs> when we walked in the room for the first time. So I think, you know, just like everything else, yeah, I think the pandemic made us, put us in this different world, right? And I think 
everyone's kind of had to kind of get used to it, um, the players included. But um, I think, you know, it, the, the good thing is, too, is like, and the fans probably don't see this and don't know this, but like, you know, I, I was always told when I covered baseball, it's that like, even the, the locker room and, and the clubhouses are, you know, they're interview rooms, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, like, the players do have a place still to escape, you know what I mean? Whether in every sport, you know, if, if they can, there's a dressing room in, in the lightning area that kind of is off to the side where they can, you know, kind of go. If, um, and then, you know, there's the same thing in, in pretty much every other sport. You know, when I covered football, when I covered the Bucks, um, you know, the Bucks used to know exactly when we were coming in the room. <laughs> and we would see guys walk in, see us, and walk right back out. And in football, you know, they just need to be accessible. Uh, and accessible, access, the word accessible can mean different things. So sometimes a guy walking in a room and walking out right away was accessible. So, but um, I do feel that these guys kind of, you know, just like all of us kind of had to get back used to, uh, you know, what the environment was and, you know, back to what it is now. But a hundred times out of a hundred, I'll take this over Zooms because uh, <laughs> it was, it's just so... That's a challenge, right? Yeah. Coming I mean, up with ideas because everybody's listening to the same question. Yeah, everyone's, you know? everyone's get the same stuff and everything like that. And, and yeah, like I said, it's just also the personal part of it. It's like, that's so just like not, formal. Yeah, there's no intimacy to it at all. So yeah, it's formal. Yeah, right? it's a very not formal. casual. And, was there uh, were there any side deals Ed during that time? Like if were, you said, "Listen, I'm going to ask this question. I got a story. If you can just you know maybe not go there, and, and the next one you got." Yeah, next I wish got. I wish there were. I can tell you, <laughs> I can I, I would be willing to make those deals. I know you but, would, but uh, I wish there were back then. But uh, yeah. like I said, a hundred out of hundred, I would I would take this over. Uh, I mean, the other day I walked in there and they were all there, and I was kind of like, and it's very rare you have everyone in the room, right? When you walk in, and I was just I was almost like, wow, like I don't even know where to go. You know, because uh, I kind you of had so many take of the litter there. So yeah, um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed much, much better. Like I said, it just it just feels more like you're doing your job too. You know, when when you have that accessibility, so it's 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 great. Like I said, I did. Uh, it's been a long time coming because, like I said, my first year on this beat, you know, was the first year of the pandemic. So I've been waiting for this for you know two years now. Ed, continue doing great work, buddy. We appreciate you coming on, talking a little hockey and other things as well. And we'll uh, we'll do it again soon. We'll see you at the rink today. Thanks, Definitely. Ed. Thanks for having me, guys. Got it. Ed Encina joining us here on the show. What a weird time to be yeah. a reporter, a broadcaster, really a player. And the fact the Lightning were able to win cups during that time. I don't know if 50 years from now people will fully appreciate what they went through when you start talking about playing in empty arenas for a good portion of that time and playing in a bubble and just the circumstances, not only around sports, Dave, but the world Mm -hmm. when there was so much uncertainty and I think people were still trying to figure out what was right, what was wrong. And to be able to play at a high level during that time and to, you know, probably have the most dominant stretch in franchise history at a time when, there was so much uncertainty in the world, I think just makes it really incredible and really unique. Well, look, not only for the players, but also for the people covering the sport. And Ed knows well about doing interviews over Zoom. And it's like every question is going to be answered and used by every person who's listening to that press conference, which makes any kind of 
special story, very difficult, not impossible. But also for, you know, the people in the broadcast industry, how many games do we do off a monitor in the last sure. two years? Which is doable, certainly doable, but very different. It changed it changed a lot of things. And as Ed said, you had to probably reintroduce yourself to the players in the locker room to some extent. Yeah. And that is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when Ed says, you know, they didn't even know what he looked like, really. <laughs> Obviously, they're not getting the newspaper because Ed's picture appears. But Ed, Ed's lost some weight, though, Dave, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's still here, but Ed had a health. Ed, Should I call it a scare? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you were listening? scared, certainly. They got it under control, but you had a you had a difficulty in the in the Stanley Cup final, and we're glad that you're feeling better now. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I feel like I can take a time to talk about it. Yeah, um, I really haven't talked about it too much. It's other than just with with people as, as they've asked me about it. But um, I didn't want to put you on the spot. I, I was just saying you look breaking s- breaking a story here. You Ed. look you look great. Well, I but, pre- you know. I appreciate. It. I feel the great. Hepa lawyers are like <laughs> <laughs> shaking their fists at us, Greg. You don't have to answer anything. No, no, no. I do. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it because I think it's important. And I think Go ahead. um, you know, I, I the, so I pretty much uh, long story short in. I was feeling pretty bad uh, towards the end of the cup run there, towards the finals, and uh, probably kind of peaked at the uh, the in the conference final, and to the point where you know I I just didn't feel good at all. Like, and I the, the big my big mistake was you know working every day and covering this team through a really important part of the season. You know, I always kind of feel that you know. You know, I, I kind of put pressure on myself to be like, you know, you know, this is the most important part. Just grind through it and get through it. And then you got the off season and it gets better and you can take some days off. But, um, you know, I was so I was really mistaking like general like postseason fatigue for something that was really like breaking down my body. And um, basically, you know, I'd never, ever in my life counted a calorie or counted a carb. And that's probably one of my worst mistakes. But. Basically, long story short is, uh, you know, after the after Lightning won Game Six uh, here against the Rangers, the next day, well, in the next forty eight hours, I was in the ICU. Um, basically, with uh, you know, I was diagnosed. I basically had something called ketoacidosis, which is um, kind of a, a thing with your uh, glucose levels getting completely out of whack and. Um, it gets to the point where your insulin isn't manufacturing enough and almost your blood becomes acidic to a certain point and your body just breaks down. And I was in the ICU for six days. I had to uh, watch the first two games of the Stanley Cup uh, final from uh, the TGH. And uh, I learned a lot about a lot of different things. So um, one, my health, and two, about you know how hard you try to push through your job. And, uh, but since then they've basically, I'm living as a type two diabetic right now. So, which means insulin shots and medication and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I probably have now have never felt better in my life, um, and physically and, uh, you know, for a long time, like energy levels and fatigue and stuff like that, I just counted that as just, you know, kind of working hard as a sports reporter. And they didn't really think of it as anything that was you know, health concern. So, but now again, like, uh, like I said, I feel great. You know, everyone's obviously noticed my, my weight loss. I probably lost about 40, 45 to 50 pounds over since, you know, I got sick, but, um, 
but yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I learned a, a lot of lessons the past year, uh, uh, about a lot of that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I definitely have to, uh, you know, I've had to buy an entirely different wardrobe <laughs> for, uh, for the past, uh, past couple of months because, uh, I have an entire closet full of stuff that doesn't really fit me anymore. But, uh, but yeah. Well, we're glad that you're feeling better. And, for sure. You know, I'm sure that it's in some ways easier to do your work when you're not feeling so, like, enervated and, and low energy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a night and day. It's, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I think you just, like, sometimes, you know, you know, as we know, like, press boxes aren't the most healthy places in the world, right? Because, um, you know, and, and just on the on the job, traveling with the team, it's it's tough because, you know, it's so easy to, you know, grab something late or, you know, grab something to go and stuff like that. And that's, that's a lot of stuff that I've been doing, not just last year, but for years. And now I've just kind of, you know, learned the hard way that, uh, you know, you just got to be a little bit more careful with that kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, feel great. And it, it is a lot easier, Mish, to kind of have that, you know, do your job on a daily basis when you do have that, that energy level and, you know, that, you know, everything's kind of going the right way health-wise. Well, Ed, you've come a long way, brother. You look great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, keep at it. Keep plugging away because I know that's for everybody that wants to have a healthy life. That's the challenge is the consistency. Keep doing it. Keep yeah, doing I appreciate it. You're doing it. it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, buddy. We Thanks, appreciate Ed. you. All right. Ed Encina joining us right there. I promise not to bring up any more things about Ed. He's hanging out. I want to let him go. He's probably like, come on, guys. Well, he helped us fill, what, 33 minutes. So thank you. Thank you, Ed. Can he come on for another 10? Can we go 43 minutes? <laughs> well, no, I think he's sitting here to finish his, right, finish right his here, coffee. Yeah. He's finishing his coffee right now. You know, the rink was so that. cold today. It's always yeah. cold, but it was so cold today. And when we do the show at the arena, which you're doing it from home, Greg, but when we do the show from the arena, last year, of course, we did it from the press box, which is equally cold. But now we're in our studio where we did these remote broadcasts, and it is like totally snug and comfortable but i needed a cup of coffee and ed got one too so we needed to warm up after braving the elements of amelie arena for get a little hot chocolate an hour and a half coffee i don't think they have hot chocolate in the offices i've got a lot less body to insulate too so i'm not sure that ed can have hot chocolate is that i cannot have a little bit too much sugar for me so yeah i mean coffee is good i can get you know alternate sweeteners and stuff like that and you can put a little half and half in there yeah that's what i do with my cold brew usually you know and you're you're set so, all right. Well, I appreciate that. Ed Encina, Tampa Bay Tribune. Make sure you check out Tampa Bay Times. Make sure you check out his work there. He does outstanding stuff, and uh, we appreciate it. Partner, we got a game tonight. Yeah, Dallas Stars, new head you coach, know, playing well. We were talking about the yeah, we were talking about the coaching and the switch and, and where they are now as a team. I always feel like Dallas was one of those teams over the last few years that really good team, couldn't get over the hump. They were a playoff team, and they've got some young players, a decent mix of veterans, and – now a coaching change, and here they are. But I, I always feel like the games against the Stars are pretty entertaining, and the Stars are a pretty good team the last few years. I mean, they've they've had some success. They just have not been able to get over the hump. Of course, we know what happened, you know, with the Lightning. But I mean, they yeah they have won a lot of games. They're just one of those teams that maybe hasn't broken through. Well, so <clears throat> Dave Randorf and I ran into Josh Bulgarad in the hallway in a very cold part of the hallway, I should mention. But we chatted for about 10 or 15 minutes. He's the play-by-play voice of the Stars. They simulcast, so he does TV and radio. And it is true the Stars got to the Stanley Cup Final in 2020, of course, and lost to the Lightning. 
But going back through the years, it was only in one year, 2015-16, in which the Stars got off to a really quick start and making the playoffs was never really in doubt. Now I'm going to exclude the 2019-2020 year because the season got shortened, as we know, or it ended basically on on March the 12th. So the Stars didn't have to worry about like cobbling together a, a push at the end. In fact, they were on Robin team when we got to the bubble. But I don't think that they were expected necessarily to get all the way to the Stanley Cup final. But all the other regular seasons, they're basically coming down the stretch unsure if they're going to make the playoffs. Now, in most of the years, they have made the playoffs. The one year they didn't was that 2021 season when they were in the Lightning's division and Nashville beat them out right at the end. They had a weird year that year. Remember that, Greg? Because they were in the Lightning's division, but they had covid delays and they had like the weather issue in texas which forced some other cancellations they had injuries they couldn't win a game in overtime which is unrelated to kind of circumstances outside their control but they didn't have tyler sagan who would have helped them i think in the shootout so he was one of the main guys they had injured and they barely missed the playoffs last year again it went right down to the wire and they would have played colorado in the first round except that nashville blew a four nothing lead at arizona in the last game of the regular season. So Nashville got Colorado and the stars went to Calgary and almost beat the flames. So what we learned from Pete DeBoer was Brian Engblom actually asked him this question about like the adjustment of coming into a new team and not wanting to tinker with everything, like keep the things that the team does well and maybe improve the things that the team needs help with. And DeBoer has been around long enough that he's had that scenario with a couple of different teams. So what he said was, you know, they've always defended well. We maybe needed to find a little bit more offense. And to this point, I think they've done that. So it reminded him a little bit when he took over the Devils. The Devils, of course, were defense, defense, defense. And he joked that Lou Lamarillo didn't want his defenseman to pinch at all. And I guess DeBoer (laughs) was able to convince him to let the defenseman pinch a little bit. And that first year under DeBoer was the year the Devils got to the Stanley Cup final. They lost to the Kings in 2012. But then he said, you know, I went to San Jose and offense wasn't an issue. It was more about getting them to defend better. So, you know, he's trying to find a balance. So when you say the Stars have entertaining games against the Lightning, I may differ with you a little bit because I think the way the Stars wanted to play was really like muck it up and slow it up and defend. And in fact, the last game they had against each other was a one nothing Dallas win in Dallas. Scott Wedgwood actually got the shutout in that game against the Lightning. He was the third goalie when they were in the bubble. Good Lord. Remember remember that game last year, though? Well, that name Scott Wedgwood. Late in the third, and and they won the game one to nothing. And Rick Bonus was doing a happy dance afterward. Like that was his perfect game, right? I think Pete DeBoer is like, okay, we can afford to score more than one goal, you know, and then have a little bit more of a margin for error without taking away from how they want to defend. So, what I've noticed from the Stars this year is, first of all, their top line is continuing to just kill it, which they did last year. They did the bulk of their scoring last year, Robertson, Hints, and Pavelski. They are doing it again this year. But you look at, you know, Jamie Benn has six goals. They're getting contributions from from other guys beyond their top line. Their special teams have been outstanding. They're third in the league in power play percentage, and they're third in the league in penalty kill percentage. And they have been the very best. I didn't look it up, but I feel confident saying this. Maybe Boston or Vegas might, might rival them. 
but they have been one of the, if not the very best first period teams in the NHL this year. They're outscoring the opposition 19-6 to in the first period. So you look at their numbers, they've scored first in 13 of their 15 games. They've trailed after one period just once all year. Now, sometimes they've been tied, but they're basically going into the intermission either ahead or tied every game, and more often than not, ahead. The games they've lost, the opposition has basically had to rally. And when they've led after two periods, they've won every game. When they've been tied or trailing after two periods, they haven't won a game. So they are definitely a front-running team, but they are making hay in the first period. They're coming out of the gates quickly, jumping on the opposition, kind of like the Lightning, how the Lightning handled the Capitals the other night, and building a lead. So I think that's something that the Lightning are going to have to be certainly aware of tonight, that that has been Dallas's M.O. so far this year. And Robertson, some... Robertson's been great. Like, he's tied with Kucherov yeah. in points. They both have 23 points, and we know what kind of a year Kucherov has had. Robertson has 16 points in an eight-game point streak. He's an elite player. Yeah. And I think he's an elite player. And they've got they've got a couple of hints you mentioned. He's I don't know if he's elite, but he's pretty good. He's also you know, on an eight game point streak, but they play yeah. in the same line. So they've got they've got some guys. You know what's interesting is the Sagan Ben dynamic because it doesn't feel like that long ago those were the guys that were yeah. carrying the torch. For they're them. playing less, so I mean they're getting older, yeah. and I think Pete DeBoer yeah, no, is playing sure. them accordingly. Sure. Yeah, it, it's just when that happens, it's always I think a little eye opening because they were the future at at one point, and now they're. They're kind of the the passengers in some ways, and they've got to fill a role that's different than they're used to, probably. And I think that takes a mindset. I think you have to be willing to accept that mm-hmm. a little bit, you know. So we'll see, and uh, it'll be fun to watch that tonight. Do we have an idea, partner? I'm just looking through here. Brian Elliott and, starts, by the way. So Elliott is in. Yeah, this looks like from Kren. Chernak and Foot will both remain out of the lineup. Yeah, it sounds so. like maybe by the weekend for both of them. But unclear at this time. So we're going to yeah. get our second game of Ian Cole playing on the right side, I'm guessing, because the Lightning have four lefty D. And other than that, I mean, including that, it's going to be the same lineup for the Lightning. So what if they find something with this? Because it wouldn't be unusual if Ian Cole adapted to a certain role because of the games that he's played and how successful he's been. But, you know, through all of these injuries and players maybe not performing as well as they would like, they find that the Hedman-Cole dynamic ends up fitting better than what they originally thought. I mean, I guess anything's possible, partner, but that is a real possibility, and I know it's it's been early, but would we be shocked if... Anybody can pull this off playing on the opposite side. It would be a veteran player like Ian Cole. Well, I think the component that is going to be more of a factor than how Ian Cole plays with Hedman, although maybe that's going to be an important factor too, the numbers. Like Ed talked about it, Bogosian is coming back, and if Chernak and Foot are indeed not long-term, and they're going to be returning soon, something's got to give here. Now, I'm not suggesting Ian Cole is going to be leaving the lineup, but it may be that if the Lightning of three righties that they're playing, I think the three righties are going to be on the right side. That's how the Lightning prefer it. 
But to know that Cole can play the right side as a lefty and maybe link up well with Hedman, I thought the two guys together played well against Washington, but most everybody in the Lightning played well against Washington on Sunday. So we'll see how they how they look tonight. But that's, again, something that, that John Cooper and Rob Zettler, who, who runs the D, they can put that in their back pocket and remember, hey, you know, back in November, when we asked Ian Cole to play the right side with Hedman, he slotted in really nicely. But I think that the first question is, how are the Lightning going to keep nine defensemen? And if the expected answer is they're not, how are they going to get rid of some of their extra defensemen? What is that going to look like? Who's going to be left? And I think if they have three healthy righties, those three righties are going to be filling the right side. And Ian Cole will move to back to the left side. Time will tell. That's I'm acknowledging, theory, right? though, that chemistry matters. Chemistry does matter. Yeah, but I think why I we've asked. seen I mean, enough I, I in the Lightning to know that the righty-lefty almost trumps chemistry. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. And I don't know. I, if it works, just because it might not be traditional, I'm okay with that. I mean, what do I care? But well, uh, right, and you're not behind <laughs> the bench making these decisions. That's right. That's right. Nor what do I, I care? John I'm just Cooper saying the Lightning you know? like having three righties and three lefties. That is their preference. Right now, Chernick and Foot are out, so they have to play four lefties. Somebody has to play the right side. Somebody has to. Who will it be? Interesting because... We still don't know, you know, what Bogosian's going to look like. Sorelli's still working his way back. Once those guys do, how much time does it take for them to feel completely comfortable in their settings? And at that point, who's playing well and who's not? I don't know the answers to those questions, but it is going to be part of the equation. And, you know, I think we all have an idea who could be in their top six, but things change. And as they say, that's why they play. Yeah. perform well, if Cole performs well in this setting, there might not be a reason for John Cooper to mess with that line. Because very, I think it's very important to find somebody who can play with Victor Hedman. And while Hedman has done a lot of great things for some other defensemen he has played with over the years, I do think finding somebody who can play with him and understand what he does is maybe more important. Because you want Hedman to be that stallion, that horse when it matters the most. And Are you suggesting he, that Cole is a better fit than Chernak? With I, I don't know. I think it, for me, I think it may balance things out a bit more. Because, and when I say that, I want Victor Hedman to be at his best. Is Ian Cole at this point in his career a little more comfortable in his own skin playing a certain way with an elite player than Chernak is right now. I mean, Chernak's played a lot of games. He's a physical guy, we know. I think he's still growing as a defenseman, too. And we talked about that with he and Sergachev. They're young guys that still are mm -hmm. getting better. Could you pair Chernak with somebody else? And could you leave Cole with the responsibility of playing with your best defenseman and getting the most out of Hedman? I'm not saying it, it didn't necessarily happen with Chernak. But I, I am willing to acknowledge that I'm intrigued by what Cole could present and bring to that duo on the ice. And then if you moved, if he kept Sergachev with Perbix, 
and then you had Chernak with whomever. Does your does your pairings do they look a little more deep, a little more sustainable moving forward? I don't know. I think it's going to work itself out. I mean, I should mention that the whoever there, I mean, if you're going to say it's Bogosian, now you're asking Cole to play his offside and probably yes. Bogosian also. But Bogosian did that a little bit last year. He did. He's a righty defenseman who played some on the left, based again on the fact that the Lightning had four righties at one point. So they had to do that. I'm trying to remember who was out at the time. Because they had Hedman... And McDonough and Sergachev. So somebody must have been out that they had Bogosian playing the left side. But be that as it may, I think as we often say, these things tend to sort themselves out. And if they don't, then Julian Brisebois has a decision to make. And John Cooper and his coaching staff will have a decision to make about who plays. But we mentioned this yesterday. Like, you didn't talk about Hayden Flurry. I thought Hayden Flurry played quite well on he Sunday. Did. He did. Is he in the top six? Don't know. I don't know. But that's that's why I think the more reps these guys get with Bogosian out to see where they are, Dave, I think that's going to help John Cooper get an idea. Okay, who, who falls in where? Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Let's get some questions that we didn't get to yesterday. This one was pretty funny from Basil. Greg, are you contractually obligated to say Hall of Famer every time you mention Phil Esposito's name? You are very consistent. He he is a Hall of Famer, and you are very consistent. <laughs> By the way, I don't think Phil's back tonight. No. It's going to be Kobe. Kobe, Kobe uh, in from the bullpen again. Yeah. Phil hopes oh, to be Phil's, back Phil's better, Thursday, yeah. I understand. Yeah. But he, he caught a bad cold. He's got a cold. Yeah. You were asking, is the flu. I got a flu shot this year. Did you? Yeah. I don't. In the past, I haven't. We're going off topic here. So sorry for Please. all those people that are more interested in hockey talk than <laughs> Ed and Cena's health and, and me getting a flu shot. But part of it was related to the fact that when I go to Tampa General with Stella, Mm-hmm. They really encouraged everyone there and the volunteers to get a flu shot. And there are a few extra hoops that you have to jump through without getting into specifics. Like if you choose not to get a flu shot, it's not a big deal. But I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll go ahead and do it. So we'll see if we'll see if it helps. We'll see if I avoid getting the flu this year. You know, I don't often get the flu. If I get sick, it's not the flu in years past. But I can't tell you the last time I did. Traveling again this year. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, I'm back on the no road. Doubt. No doubt. No doubt. I felt, I, I I felt it that. probably made sense to do it. I get that. And that, that, that does make a lot of sense. I, I think I've maybe had a flu shot at least over the last decade, maybe once. I typically don't. I, I can't say no watch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it tonight. <laughs> yes. Well, you live in a cesspool of germs I, as it is. I do. Friend. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if my immune system is just... yeah. What you have in what what you have within your four walls is way better than (laughs) way more effective than a flu shot than any vaccine. You you contract. You have like different strains of different viruses floating around your apartment or your house. If you want to call me Superman, please. You can. You can. You know what though? The thing about it is, in full disclosure, at times it is nice being able to do broadcasts when we can from home because. 
you know, if you're sick and you've got a fever, you've got a bad cough, mm-hmm. I think the way technology is today, as long as you can pull it off and it sounds good, if you can stay home, your situation's a little bit different than mine. You don't want to get anybody sick either now. Yeah. I think that's the one thing you learn a bit with COVID is just wait maybe till those symptoms pass. And if you don't have to come in, you don't have to. And Broadcasting I think, with a bad cough, though, is whether you're at home sure. or not at home, that is not the most pleasant thing in the world sure. to do. No, I get that. I get that. You know? Um, that's why I said it. it it's got to work. It's got to make sense. And, you know, your job is, is different than the one I do, for sure. But you do need that voice. And, you know, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic through all of the, the COVID stuff that working from home became a bit more prominent. And that was one of the benefits, I think. Uh, Anthony says, quite interesting dynamic with Hetty and Sergey. Do you think Sergey will stay on the first power play if they keep producing? I can't imagine a good run without Victor's usual Norris level play needs to score points. Foot can't catch a break. Damn. They covered a lot there. Look, as long as Sergeyev is producing, and the power play looks as good as it has looked, even in the road Washington game, it looked pretty good. They didn't score, but that five-minute major they had against the Caps was way more effective than the five-minute major they had against Ottawa when they gave up the five-on-three shorthanded goal. So sometimes you tip your cap to the opposing goalie, and there's no doubt that the power play looked really sharp and crisp in the home game against Washington, and Sergachev was part of that top unit. Now, he was also part of the top unit in the Ottawa game because Hedman was hurt, and the power play, that might have been their worst game of the year, even though they did score a goal, and Sergachev scored it. One for eight with the failed five-minute major and a full two-minute five-on-three with a shorthanded goal against. I'm I'm hard-pressed to imagine they're going to have a worse night on the power play the rest of the year. But to answer Anthony's question or follow up on his point, yeah, I think the units are going to stay the way they are right now, for now. It's it's interesting because, Dave, when's the last time you could make a case that Victor Hedman not necessarily was playing with another elite offensive defenseman, but there was another one on the roster? I mean, like, Sergachev, I think, is growing, and maybe we're seeing mm. this. The This is the Sergachev in terms of maybe what we were envisioning offensively, and maybe that final piece was getting shots through and playing with confidence. I, look, I, I don't want to overemphasize what he's doing. He's got to do it a little bit more here for us to, I think, be, okay, th- this, is, this guy's arrived from that standpoint. But I, I guess what I would say is, Dave, there hasn't been another player... On this on this back end, back end, not named Victor Hedman, who had the potential to be elite offensively. I think Kevin Shattenkirk, yeah, maybe, but even Shattenkirk, he was really good offensively. But I think Sergachev is dynamic. You know the way he skates, the way he stick handles, the way he can shoot. And I don't. So what I'm saying is, I I think this is going to be an interesting dynamic developing here for the Lightning from the back end. Is that you have two elite defensemen offensively who can do some things. How do you separate them on the power play? Do you now give the second power play unit with Victor Hedman, if he stays there, a little more uh, more minutes 
than you normally would on a second power play unit? Do you play them together? I mean, these are options now that John Cooper has, but what I'm saying is I, I, I don't know if we've ever seen this type of dynamic on the back end for Tampa Bay where two of your six defensemen are considered elite offensively at what they do. Yeah, I think because they're two lefties, I doubt that we're going to see them on the same unit. Just the way they like to correct set up the power play, how it's configured. You you put guys on their offsides for one-timers, like Kucherov and Stamkos. If you have two lefties, assuming that you know they're both going to be kind of up top, like a lefty and a righty playing on opposite sides, we see that sometimes. But the Lightning use that umbrella format with the one defenseman at the top of the umbrella. And that's why you have Hedman on one unit and Sergachev on the other. So that's, what I, that's what I think. About yeah, that. no, I, and I think that's fair. I think it's fair. I think maybe the interesting question is if Hedman's on your second power play unit, Dave, do you consciously try to get that unit out there a little bit more than you would? A no. normal second power play unit? No, I think or, the first unit stays out until... Stays, right, understood. Yeah, they, understood. Play their, they play at least a minute, if not more than a minute. And if they have the puck in the ozone, it's hard to keep seventy-seven on that bench, though, isn't it? Well, during true. that time, during that but, time, that's all I'm saying. I mean, unless you're time. swapping Sergachev for Hedman, sure. Like Nikita Kucherov is going to stay out on the ice. We see that from him, right? Stamkos is going to stay out there. Yeah. Hagel, most likely, as long as he keeps performing, is going to stay out there. Un- understood. I mean, you make a-, a lot of good points. It's more of just it's eye-opening to see Hedy not out yeah. there. And I'm not saying it's not the wrong decision. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, there are going to be power plays in which the second unit gets more time. Yes. But, and in fact, sometimes the second unit starts. That's usually if, you know, Point and, and Cooch have been out there for a long shift before the power play began, like leading into the power play. But Delaney did make a switch on the second unit at practice yesterday, and that is that Nick Paul replaced Nemenstikov. Vladdy's, Vladdy's scuffling. I like that move. I, I think I mentioned that to you. Why isn't Nick Paul on the second power play? Yet? Yeah, and I thought maybe because they're using him so much on the penalty kill. And that was that was a, that was a reasonable response. I yeah, think. maybe still, it wasn't only that. Maybe yeah. maybe it was that they just wanted to have that look. And remember, Nemestikov for a time was on the first unit. Kalorn for a while was on the first unit. Now it's Hagel who didn't start the year on any unit. He came out of the second unit when they swapped. Nemetsnikov and Kalorn. Mm-hmm. And Nick Paul basically was replaced by Hagel. And now Paul is back. So if Vladdy gets going offensively, we may see his return to the power play. But he also penalty kills as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's it's tied to that a little bit, too. Let's get one more question in. This is Jim, who always DMs us. We appreciate that. He said, Dallas Stars question. What happened to Braden Holpe? Really not too old, I think, former elite goalie and had a record 48 wins one year with the Caps. I guess mm-hmm. Anton Kudobin is retired. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I would have to look that up. I confess I don't have the answer and in whatever, how much time we have left, two minutes, I don't think I can look it up. He may have been on a one-year deal, and I do know this. When they acquired Scott Wedgwood at the deadline last year, because Holpe was hurt, if memory serves, Wedgwood played very well for them down the stretch, so they gave him a contract extension. He's younger than Holpe. So their two guys are Ottinger, who I think the Stars yeah. feel is going to be in the running for a Vesna trophy at some point. He's leading the NHL right now, by the way, in goals against average and save percentage. And their backup is a guy who has responded very well coming in, you know, 
in that Brian Elliott mode of one start every four to five to five to six and doing well. And when Ottinger was out, he missed four games with an injury. Wedgwood came in and and played very well. Best I can guess here is, from what I'm gathering through some headlines here, Dave, it doesn't look like he's playing and he's contemplating whether he's done Yeah, completely. That's kind of where we are with that. But I think for the Stars, they liked what they got from Wedgwood last year, and they put their chips on that side of the table. Give credit to him, Wedgwood. You know, hey, more power to you, buddy. Yeah. Partner, great job as always. We're yep. going to do it again tomorrow. We'll Thanks to Encina. Yeah, we'll recap the game. Maybe Ed Encina will join us. I don't know if he's if he wants to. <laughs> Since he's writing now. For a while. He's hard at work. Him. He's made very full yeah. use of this hour. He did. He just killed some time with us, and we appreciate that about him. we got the pregame skate show tonight. That'll be at 6 o'clock. That'll be E, Eric Rowlandson, and Bobby the Chief Taylor. I'll have the network pregame at 6.30. And then Braden Coburn with Dave Mishkin. We'll have the game call, and we hope that Phil Esposito feels a lot better. And uh, we see him the next game. Mish, great job as always, buddy. We'll do it again tomorrow. Yep. And I'll see, see you tonight. tonight. You got it. Thanks to uh, Steve Ersnick. We always appreciate him. I'm Greg Linelli. For my daughter, Alaria, who was talking in the background, I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow on Lightning Radio.